before we open up tonight and speak on verse number 10, uh, we'll ask for God's blessing on our meeting and we'll pray to Him. Our Father, we come this night to thanks once again for bringing each soul here safely tonight. And we're thankful once again that the grace of God finds us listening uh, to the story, the most tremendous story of grace. Uh, a story that tells us of someone who came, and who suffered, and who died. And all this for the grace of God to be known by men, that what we could never earn or deserve has been offered to us freely. Think of how our first hymn told us, at such a tremendous cost, but offered free to all, without money and without price. And yet this evening, not without a message to declare a person, because the salvation that we have, we would love for others to have as well. You know our hearts, and you know our desires. And we can say honestly this evening, and that our greatest joy would be to know that there is one other soul here tonight who would join us as we enter into the uh, journey going homeward to heaven above. And we pray, Lord, that this would be so. So bless our families here tonight and this assembly here in Brookfield. And give us help as we would open up the scriptures. And this we ask in your son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So tonight, our verse is verse number 10 of Isaiah 53. If you're uh, one for stanzas and a hymn, uh, each night I always say, we're going to sing verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, whatever you want to say. Well, this last song that we've been going through, Isaiah 53, has five stanzas in it. Maybe you didn't know that. And the first three are at the end of chapter 52. And we've gone through uh, four of the other stanzas, and now we come to the last one. Uh, this is stanza number five. So this would be the last verse. Uh, in the hymn, so when you were coming to verse 10, you could say, you know, some hymns seem to be, this hymn's going on forever, some hymns I think that are very long. Now this wouldn't have been too long of a hymn compared to some of the psalms that people would have sung back in the time of the Hebrews. Um, but we're entering the last verse here, the last, the last verses and verses, but the last stanza of our hymn. So we'll read verse 10 tonight, and then we'll speak from it. Verse 10 says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We'll read it one more time since this is the only verse we're going to read tonight. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I'm sure you know by now, but of all the chapters in the Old Testament, the chapter that we've been going through is the best chapter when it comes to someone who would want to know their sins forgiven. Someone who would want to know tonight that they could be in heaven. Of all the chapters that you could come to, this is it. No arguing. This is it. 
chapter 53 of Isaiah. Over and over again, we've heard this past week, and tonight we will hear it again, about this man, what he did at Calvary, the future that he has, and how we can be part of that future because of what he did so long ago. So it's great once again to come to this chapter tonight. What I'd like to speak on are just three things. I'll tell you what I'm going to do so that you can kind of figure out where we are in the message. I want to speak about three things in this chapter that start with his. There's things that are ascribed to the Lord Jesus. They're his. And those three things, there's actually more than three in this verse, and if you can find some extra ones, you can tell me after the meeting. I want to speak about his soul. And then finally, and then next I want to speak about his seed, or, or, or those that would come. That's really a, a reference to family, his family, his seed. And finally, I'd like to speak about his days, his soul, his seed, and his days. And that, just in those three points tonight, we will be able to take a look here at verse 10 and to know something of the truth of the gospel in this verse. The verse starts very unusual. You have to admit that. When you read verse 10, if you don't find that unusual, then you're not reading it carefully. Sometimes they say there was an old preacher, and I don't know, it was probably better when he said it. But there's three ways to read your Bible. Carefully. More carefully. And much more carefully. It doesn't have the same effect when I say it. But when he said it, people paid attention. If you read that verse, and it doesn't shock you, then you've got to say, go read it again. Because that verse starts and it says, it pleased the Lord to crush him. That's what it means, to bruise. We, we've gone over that word before in these meetings. It was found in another verse in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. Then it says, he made him, his, it talks about his grief there in verse 10. He had put him to grief. You know that, that, that sometimes you say, that's a tricky saying. What that really means there is that he was going to make his son sick. You ever say, oh, you ever hear news, terrible news, you say, oh, it makes me, makes me sick. Makes me sick. You ever hear something that's so tragic? You hear about uh, sometimes kidnappings over in another country where, where they round up children and take them away and they demand money or they're going to take their life. And sometimes the kids lose their life and people say, makes me sick. Makes me sick. The sorrow that comes in. That's what's going on here. And it says that the father, he found it pleasing to crush his son, to make him sick in the suffering that he had. You say, no, that can't be. Can't be. How could he find that pleasing? You know, if you were to go to another book in your Bible, a book actually where all the pages are very clean. You ever, sometimes I always look at that. I always go to my Bible and I see, where am I not reading? Where am I not reading? Well, actually, one of those books for all of us is the book of Ezekiel. And in that book of Ezekiel 33, it says there something very significant. Anytime you go to a funeral, whether that person knows the Lord Jesus or not, you can say this verse from Ezekiel 33, that God, he finds no pleasure, absolutely none, no pleasure in the death of wicked people or good people, although there are no good people. He finds no pleasure in the death of sinners. Now, it doesn't... He doesn't find, it doesn't matter how bad the person is, it does not make him feel good at all. So think of the worst person that you know. If they were to die, God would not be happy at all. 
not even the smallest amount. Then in here we read about the Lord Jesus, God's only son, and it says that in his death, he was delighted, he was pleased. How do you add it up? How do you put the two together? You know, when, when Jesus Christ died, when he was crushed, all that grief that he endured, when God saw that, the reason that it brought him such delight was not in the suffering, but in the salvation. Not in all the, all the wounds and all the, all the things that men did to him, but in the victory that it would mean. God found no pleasure in the nails that went through his hands and in the spear that went through his side. But God finds so much pleasure in knowing this. Because he died, you can live. Because he was forsaken, you can be accepted. That's where God finds pleasure. That's where our verse starts. You'll realize, too, at the end of this chapter, at the end of this verse, it says something else about pleasure. And it's going to come full circle, and we'll get to that. But just think how significant that here is the only death of the billions or trillions and trillions and trillions of death. As you drive through cemetery and cemetery over all this land, of all the deaths that have ever occurred, only one has ever made God happy. And that was the death of his son, Jesus Christ. God will not find pleasure when you die. And neither will we. But what does make every heart glad is that when you look at someone who has died, is that you know that they believe that Jesus died for them. So nothing can make anybody happier. And so, we look at this verse, and we see this. His soul. His soul. The soul is a tricky thing. I remember something that uh, C.S. Lewis said. He says, don't ever find yourself saying that I have a soul, that this body has a soul inside of it. No, no. He says, you say this, this soul has a body. Because the soul is the important thing. That's what's going to last forever. You say, where did I get this soul? Where did this soul come from? That, say, the Bible actually answers. The Bible tells us this. That God took nine elements and he breathed into those nine elements. He took hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen. He took sulfur and he took sodium. He took chlorine. He took potassium and phosphorus. And he took those nine elements and it said God breathed into them and man became a living soul. You say, what were those nine elements? Those nine elements were dirt. God took dirt and he breathed into them and made man a living soul. So the next time your friends or your teachers tell you that you came from monkeys, you say, no, it's worse. I came from dirt because God took dirt, breathed into dirt, and man became a living soul, never to end. Every soul that comes into this world, some people here have a new niece, and that soul that began just a day ago, will never, ever end. It'll never have a day in which it ends. That soul will live forever. Your soul will live forever. It has no time. It has no expiration date. It has no final day. That soul is eternal. And so it's so important that you know where your soul is going to be for all eternity. What will it profit a man if he gains everything in this life but loses his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, this verse tells us what was given in exchange 
for your soul. This verse tells us that my sinful soul was going to end up in hell. But Jesus Christ, his soul was made an offering for sin. An offering for sin. You think of offerings. You think if you were to go back to the time of the Israelites, every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, they had to take an animal, an animal that didn't know why it was there or where it was going, take that animal and put it on an altar and sacrifice it. And if it happened once on Monday and once on Tuesday and once on Wednesday, sometimes it would happen multiple times on other days. And some days of the year in the hundreds, but never a day went by where an offering wasn't taken and placed on an altar. And then finally, all that came to an end when the greatest of all offerings, this man, Jesus Christ, offered his soul as a sacrifice for sin. The Bible tells us this man, after he had offered one, Sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down in the right hand of God. It's all done. This soul, the Bible talks about his soul, was made an offering for sin. That is so significant when I think of his soul because my soul, my soul, the reason that it's sinful is because God gave laws and God gave rules for me. Rules for me to keep. And if, and if I could only keep them. Actually, remember the Lord Jesus had a man come to him and said, I want to really live. I want to have life everlasting. I want to live. You ever say that? You ever, you ever find some days after you spent 10 hours on your couch, you say, tomorrow, I want to really live. What was it? Abraham Lincoln said, it's not the amount of days in your life, it's the amount of life in your days. I want to really live, David. I want to... I want to live life to the fullest. Well, the Lord Jesus said, I'll give you the way that you live life to the fullest. He said this, love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then love the soul next to you just as much as you love your own. You know what the problem is? There hasn't ever been a single person who's ever been able to do that. Not a single person, except for one. Say, if any man deserved to live, it was the man who could love God with all his soul, heart, mind, and strength. And yet he did it, and he died. Because it took one man who could love God perfectly and could love you just the same. It took that man to give his soul as an offering for sin. You know, the Bible says something in the New Testament that's very similar to this. If you were to go home tonight and flip open to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says there that God made his son sin. He made him to be sin for us. And it says his son didn't know any sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You say, I've always had a tough time understanding that. Let me tell you tonight, that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, this verse here in Isaiah 53 and 10, his soul offering for sin, you think about it this way. The next time you think of Jesus Christ on the cross for those six hours with nails in his hands and his feet, unrecognizable. The next time you think of all the sin that he did, God treated his son like he was me. God treated his son that day, that Friday, from 9 till 3, for six hours on a Friday 
in the year AD 33, God treated his son like he was David, Timothy, Zudema. So that today, God could treat David, Timothy, Zudema like I am his son. That's the gospel. When you think of Jesus Christ on the cross, when you think of how horrific it was, crushed, making him sick, the agonies, he was bruised, he was wounded, he was spit upon, he was hit. All that was done to him was because God was treating him like he was you. If you were to take Jesus Christ as your Savior, God could treat you like you're his son. It's an unbelievable exchange. Unbelievable trade. You say, I could never believe it. There are some things in the Bible I could believe if I did not read them. Like, men die once. We could all believe that if I never opened the Bible. I could believe if I never opened the Bible that, 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 that there is such a thing as love. I could believe that there is such a thing as evil if I never opened the Bible. But I could never, ever, ever believe that God would treat me like his son unless I opened up these pages and read it. And to be honest, you could never have salvation because it's too good to be true. Unless God said it, you should never believe it. But he has said it. His soul, an offering for sin. His soul was made an offering for sin. It says next, his seed. So if you read the verse there, thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That is a tremendous verse because it tells us there, the man who died at Calvary, the Lord Jesus was never married. He never had any children. He had some brothers and he had some sisters. I think he had at least six or seven brothers and sisters of whom the Bible tells us about. But none of them found that day. But when it looks at the Lord Jesus and about this family that he's going to have, the Bible says he will see his seed. You say, impossible. How does a dead man, how does a dead man ever see his family? We just read his soul, an offering for sin. He's going to die. How does a dead man see his family? How does a dead man see him? Well, right here in these verses, we are introduced to the great truth that only Christianity has, that there is such a thing as resurrection from the dead. You know, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, remember he still had the grave clothes on? You know why? Because he didn't want to spend money on more grave clothes the next time he died. He needed them the next time. But when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb, he left the clothes behind because he's never going to need them again. He died once. He rose again. He will see his seed. You say, who? Who is in his family? Who is in his family? You say, I've, I've heard of some of his half-brothers and sisters. James, what are one of their names? James and Joseph. Where are these other? Who's in his family? Who is he going to see? You open your Bibles to John chapter 1, and it says this. He came unto his own. His own didn't want him. His own family didn't want him. His own people didn't want him. But then the Bible says something so surreal. It says, but to those who believed on him, to them he gave power to be called sons of God. Not because of something they did, and not because of something they were, but according to God, to his power, and to his ability to save your soul because of his son. He will see his seed. I think sometimes of, 
of individuals who are dead. And maybe you don't think about this when you're young. I think of individuals. This week, I actually went to our family grave plot, and I was in the area, and I stopped by. And every time I go, I see people that I remember and that I knew, and I see people who are really close to me, and then I get all the way down to the end, and I see a man who has the same name as I have, but he died in 1970, 13 years before I was born. And I say, oh, it'll be great one day to see him, David Zudema, and I'm David Zudema, and it'll be a great thing to see him, and then I look at my great-grandmother, and a great thing to see her, but you know, they don't even really know that I exist. And, and, and they, when I see them, they're going to go, who are you? Who are you? I, I'm, I'm David Zinema. I'm David. They're, they're going to be so confused one day. But I'm looking forward to seeing these people who are dead, sometimes even to thank them. I want to thank him because he got saved. He was the first person to get saved. And, and maybe if he never accepted Christ, then, then his son wouldn't have. And, and then my father and me. And there's so much to thank people who are dead for. Sometimes you think of all the things you'd like to say to people. They often tell you that. They go, if you have something to say to someone, say it to them today because you don't know if they're going to die tomorrow. You really don't. And you say it today because who knows about tomorrow. I think of a, a, a young man who went to school with my brother Caleb. He was a Marine. His name was Kyle Carpenter. He received the Medal of Honor. It's the nation's highest medal back in 2010. He was in Afghanistan. And he was on a rooftop. And he was keeping watch over some other Marines who were doing a drill that day. And there he was uh, with his staff sergeant, Nick Afrasio. And Nick was the same age as Kyle. They were both around 23. And when they were up there that day, that November day in 2010, a grenade came up right in between the two of them on that rooftop apartment in Afghanistan. And without a moment's hesitation, Kyle Carpenter threw his body on top of that grenade. My brother uh, told me this because he knew Kyle. You know, the amazing thing uh, about the whole story, that one man was willing to give his life for another man. Anytime you see that, that's unbelievable. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man's willing to lay down his life for his friends. Kyle Carpenter threw his body on that grenade. You could imagine that every thought in his head was saying this, I'm going to do this and I'm going to die. But I'm willing to do this for one man, that man, Nick, the Frogster. You know, the wounds that, that came to Kyle Carpenter uh, over 40 surgeries over the next two years, uh, half his face that was replaced with skin graft. You can tell his one eye is not real. You can see the prosthetics that have been implemented into his body. But I remember one thing that Staff Sergeant Nick Frosio said. It took him two years to regain his speech after the blast that happened that day. Two years, he said this. He said, if I had to go to a tombstone and say thank you every day for the rest of my life, I would do it. If I had to go to Kyle's tombstone, and he would have probably, and probably will be buried in Arlington Cemetery. If I had to go to Arlington and get the security clearance and, and, and get in there, I would have done it every day for the rest of my life to say thanks for, shed, for giving your life, for dying, for 
putting your body on top of that grenade in order to seem like, I would have done it, he said. But you know what the wonderful thing is? Kyle Carpenter lived. He's alive. He doesn't have to say thank you to a gravestone. He can say thank you to another man who's alive and who's able to hear his voice and is able to actually embrace him and to say, yes, you're welcome. I would have done it for anyone. If you're not saved tonight, maybe you're thinking, really, who do I have to thank for all this? The man who was crushed at Calvary, the man who was made sick at Calvary, wounded and bruised and chastised, spit upon, the man who was crushed beneath my sin, who do I have to thank? You do not have to go to Israel. You don't have to go to a cemetery. You can thank a living man. And one day you'll get to see him face to face. You can either see him as your judge, or you can see him as your savior. But to see him as your savior, I don't need to tell you this, how much greater to be able to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ one day and to be able to say, thank you for giving your life for this sinner, for making your soul an offering for my sin. One day you'll be able to do that. But only if you take him as your savior now. Otherwise, you will stand before him as your judge. And as we heard in other nights, your mouth will be closed because give me a good reason why you would not want to be saved tonight. Give me one good reason why you would not want to be saved tonight. Tell me the reason. It better be great. It better be better than a man dying for your sins. It better be better than the God of the universe becoming a man and suffering at Calvary. It has to be greater than that, of which there is no reason. And so, my friend, your option is salvation now, because nothing compares to Jesus Christ who died for you. His soul, his seed, one day you will see him, either as his enemy or as part of his family. And then it says, his days. His days. Prolong his days. That's such a great verse. Prolong his days. I think of men who always want to live longer. Isn't Walt Disney? He's in some ice cube down in Disney World. He charged too much to get into the park already. Can you imagine there's a man there who wanted to extend his days? You know, living longer is what everyone wants. I remember asking Mrs. Chambers. Most of us were knew her. She was 102. I remember asking her years ago, how much longer do you want to live? She's like, I'm content. I'm okay right now. You know, you say, how long do you want to live? How many days do I want in this world? Sometimes I think at my age now, I go, would I be happy if I just doubled what I am now? Or if I had to, to add 60 to what I am now? How many more days do I want in this life to prolong my days? And, and you start to think, yeah, how long do I really want on this life? You know, wasn't a question that Jesus Christ had to ask because in the prime of his life, just as he's turning 33 there, his life is cut off. We would have read, if we read the verse, his life was cut out of the land of the living. There he was, done away with. His soul made an offering for sin. But thank God, he rose again from the dead. His days are indefinite, never to die again. The Bible tells us he lives in the power of an endless life. Of all the people you could trust, your parents will not always be with you. Your friends will not always be with you. You say that the people that we want closest to us, I can think of, of people, and I think of a grandmother 
And I couldn't imagine what life would be like without her. And you know what? She's been gone for like 21 years. People come and people go. But your life must depend on someone who will never, ever go away. And so this verse tells us his days are infinite. Where will you be in 10 days? Where will you be in 100 days? Where will you be in 1,000 days? You know, when I asked you that question, you probably thought of places. Where will you be in a million days? I say it's only two places, heaven or hell. It's only two options. I say all the other answers. All the other answers I could think of somewhere. I could think of somewhere down the shore. I could think of somewhere out west. I could think of another country. I could think of any place in Connecticut. You know, the answer to the first question is also sometimes the answer to the last question. You don't know where you'll be tomorrow. But God wants to make sure that whatever happens to you, you'll be with him. You know, the Lord Jesus, in one of the greatest chapters in our Bible, John chapter 17, he talks to his father, talks to his father for a long time, and, and tells him about things that he hopes for and things that he wants. It's one of the greatest conversations the Bible ever records. At the end of that conversation in John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus says this. He says, Father, it's the only time I read in scriptures where he asks for something that he really wants. He says, I will. He never says he wills anything. He never says he wants anything. He always says, if, it, if, it's, if it's what you want, then it's what I want. One time, I read him say something that he wants. And he says, I want the people that you've given to me, given to me to be with me where I am. It was the one thing he asked the Father for, that, that people like you or me, that if we were to put our trust in him, we would be with him forever. We would be with him, the one who can't die, the one who will live forever. I'm glad to say that I'm going to be there. Will you? Will you? If I don't get back here tomorrow night for the meeting, someone else is going to speak. But if I'm not here tomorrow, you know what? Don't ever doubt where I am. You say, I know I'm going to be there. Why? Because his soul was made an offering for my sin. I know I'm in his family because the Bible tells me to those that believe on him, to them gave he power to be called sons of God. I know that this soul will last forever, and I know that it's worth a tremendous amount. Why? Because someone told me no. No, because Jesus Christ died for this soul, for my sin. And so his seed, his days, I think at the end of the verse there, it says something about his hands, the pleasure of the Lord will, will prosper in his hands. All these things that are his, all these things that are his that we've read about here tonight, his soul, his seed, his days, his hands. What about you? Are you his? Sometimes people always think about when they're going to let Jesus Christ be theirs, when they're going to get saved. If it was the right hymn we sung tonight, you'd think, maybe I'd do it. 
Remember this, you don't save yourself. A lot of people think they just get to pick the time and the place. I remember I thought that when I was young. I think I was about nine years old. I used to think, I'll just pick the time. I'll pick the place. I remember one day getting home from a gospel meeting. It was like, I'm going to get saved right now. And then you realize you can't save yourself. You can't do it. It's not because, because you put the right words together. Because you, you think, you know, it, it feels right now. It feels good. This is a good time. Summer's about here. You know, it's June. I always like June. It's good. We're having gospel meetings. I sound feels good now. Remember with all the things that are his. For you to be his, he has to save you. You don't save yourself. Sometimes we think we know how it all is. It's just like a big Lego project. If we follow steps 1 through 10, we're going to get saved. And when we get to step 10, we're just going to say amen and we're going to happen. The Bible doesn't say that. If you've never realized in your life that you can't save yourself when you're going down to hell, if you've never realized that there is absolutely nothing that you can do, You'll never realize that the Savior did everything there was to do when his soul was made an offering for sin. But never forget this. We don't save ourselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. And the way he saves was because he was willing to die instead of you. God treated his son like he was you. You could believe that he died, that he buried, that he rose again. He lives forever. And he wants to save you. And you say, well, what in the world would there be left to do? To believe that it's true. To believe that my friend, Caleb's friend, that soldier, who died just for one man, you could believe tonight that he would have died if it was just the two of you. If it was just you and Jesus Christ, he still would have died just for your soul. That's how significant that's how much he loves you. It's something you could have tonight and no one could take it away from you. And no one else could tell you you're saved except for God in his word. And one of those great statements is in this verse tonight. His soul was made an offering for sin. It pleased God to crush his son. Why? Because God would be so pleased if only you would believe he crushed his son for you. In order to save your soul. You can have that tonight. Because Jesus Christ seeks and saves people who want to be saved. It's a guarantee from Scripture. The Bible says those who come to Him, He never, ever turns away. On other nights we said the shepherd goes out and looks for the sheep until he finds it. But if you're not lost, you can't be found. If you're not a sinner, you can't be saved. If you don't know that you're going down to hell, not be able to know that Christ has made the way possible to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So tonight, where will you be tomorrow? No one knows. Where will you be in a million years? I hope that you could answer both those questions tonight. You could have the same answer. No matter what happens, I know where I will be tomorrow, and I will know where I will be in a million years. Why? I know that because the Bible tells me. Bible tells me something about my Savior that I could not believe unless I read it in these pages. It tells me that God made his soul an offering 
for the sin of my soul. And so this soul can be saved because Christ died for me. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son. And thankful once again to be able to declare him as the only Savior of sinners. We think of all the lives that are here in this place tonight. And it still astounds us at the value of a life in the eyes of God. We think of just the vast wealth that is represented here when God looks down. And yet we think of the wealth when God looked at his son. And yet that son was given so that many here could know their sins forgiven, could know heaven as their home. We ask, Lord, tonight that there would be more that would also know this great truth that salvation is offered because Christ has died. We're thankful that there is neither salvation in any other, but there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Other than that blessed name, the name that we will pray tonight and give thanks in tonight, the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll sing just in closing here, 64. Life at best is very brief. Like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheep, be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast and the fatal line be passed. Be in time. The chorus says, be in time, be in time, while the voice of Jesus calls you, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate, and your pride be just too late. Be in time. We'll sing the whole hymn in number 64. Like the best is very brief, like the falling.